Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to season two of the Nakabi Diaries podcast, a platform dedicated to sharing the stories of the women behind the veil. This season, we will be speaking to more Muslim women from all walks of life as we continue to discuss their deep and intimate reasons for wearing the niqab, the Nakabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host, Samar, and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, sister. How are you? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm fine. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair, sister, for joining us today on the Nakabi Diaries. Sister, could you introduce yourself for the listeners and tell us a little bit about what you do, inshallah? Uh, Well, I am a certified breastfeeding counsellor. And I'm also a trainee in uh, childbirth education, Amani childbirth education. Uh, I basically work for the empowerment of women through education mm-hmm. and through networking and socializing, helping them understand the, the right code of uh, Islamic principles. So basically, it's just empowering them with a feeling of uh, feeling good. Yeah. I have my own projects, uh, the Muslima Network, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, through articles, and through a uh, resource base, we try to help women in uh, getting empowered. Even if they have uh, go through our articles, they would feel a sense of belonging and uh, it will add value to their lives. Mm-hmm. So that's the project which I was doing since 2013, the Muslim Network. I have been uh, involved in a few other projects as well before. Uh, which uh, is always connected to empowerment of women and young young girls so that they feel empowered even in even in their own homes when they are having their own set of responsibilities so that they don't feel uh, lower self-esteem or less accomplished so they just they feel that they're doing something or involved in the community so i'm basically involved in the community trying to find out the problems and trying to uh, be involved and also see if i could build any solutions for them just by being involved in the community or by hosting any gatherings or play groups or sessions for women and children. So that's my main uh, purpose. Absolutely. I'm also, um, I have also been a student of uh, fifth and uh, tafsir as well. Also a student of Arabic just now enrolled in uh, Arabic Ajarumia. Mm-hmm. So I try to keep myself busy with a lot of other activities, but right now, since I'm expecting uh, I just have just taken a step back in just relaxing and uh, spending time with my daughter. My daughter is three years now, and uh, in around two months' time, I would be having another addition. Inshallah. inshallah, may Allah grant you a healthy, healthy and righteous child. I mean, so um, sister, um, could you tell us a little bit about your Islamic background and how you started to wear the niqab? Uh, yeah, actually, um, there, there were some experiences in my life. I, I wasn't practicing before at all. I wasn't even, no, uh, to, the, to the extent that I wasn't, uh, you can say, very uh, keen on prayers also. So my hijab and my prayer, that, that knowledge aspect was very low. And uh, there were experiences in my life that led me to start reading the Quran. First, it was start started with the Quran and where I started reading Surah Kahf, where I was in a situation that I needed to ask Allah for help. Mm-hmm. And I was totally alone at that time that I just needed some guidance. 
so um when i started reading the quran with meaning i came across this line uh, this wealth and the children are only the adornment of this world so it kind of brought a curiosity in me where i wanted to search for the meaning more and more to delve into that meaning as to why is allah saying this and as i kept reading surah kahf i always it was i was very intriguing for me that line what does it mean and then uh, i was uh, i came across the meaning of hijab and why the hijab is necessary for a woman and uh, or the the prayers the five daily prayers so that's where i started i started with the five daily prayers uh, by being uh, completely uh, you can say strict on that because and i came to know that it's obligatory and it cannot be left out yeah. so i started with that then i came to know about the hijab so it was like a slow progress where i started with the hijab. i started just covering myself first in my normal dresses with a scarf or a cloth or dupatta yes. then i started with the abaya and the scarf then it slowly uh, just before my i think two months or three months before my marriage i wanted to actually cover with the niqab but because in india we have these cultural issues so it's like parents and the relatives they're like oh no you won't be getting a lot of uh, uh, proposals yeah, or marriage and everything because of this so i was like okay fine i used what i used to do was i used to put on the makeup Mm-hmm. and then i used to tell my parents that look makeup is making me beautiful so i cannot show the makeup to outside men so i let me put on the niqab that time so i used to do that <laughs> and then it was like not very uh, standard it was on and off the niqab so but uh, i wanted to make it a consistent practice but then alhamdulillah when i met my husband uh, he was uh, he's also a practicing muslim so then uh, there was no uh, issue with me practicing uh, niqab and anything of that sort because he is also a practicing muslim he knows the value of all of that and uh, since then like 2016 onwards uh, properly after marriage i started the the full niqab alhamdulillah and i have been growing with the you can say that the type of niqab where is like you know before it was a normal niqab where it was just you know you have these different types where you have yes. more covering of the eyes Mm-hmm. and more so i wanted to progress in that as well mm-hmm. so i bought those types also and basically that's my story where i wanted to actually uh, when whatever i know as of a woman in quran they say that woman is a uh, um it, it it is a tendency that woman woman has to be covered that's the main purpose that if she's covered her, the the guidelines given in the quran and the sunnah regarding her cover and her modesty and that how that modesty brings a value even that i wanted to through my projects and through my community work i wanted to build that understanding between women that okay if you are an ikhabi doesn't mean that you cannot do anything yes you are at home you still have a value even as a mother even if you are there you're going out but that does not mean that to become an ikhabi it's that you are just cut off from the world you mm-hmm. can still be involved in the community so alhamdulillah through that i i did i am i am uh, known here in the community that i was involved in volunteering projects and a few of uh, help and charity projects and all of these things through the that that's i wanted to portray that you know being a niqabi does not mean that you're just having of no value or it's just uh, just a piece of cloth on your face it does have a meaning and then why we wear the niqab so there were a few instances that where i have even told young girls about the niqab and during the volunteering timing the volunteering times that you know why niqab is also a good a sense of thing because obviously it will give you more freedom to wear a makeup and it will give you more freedom to um 
be flexible in your uh, dress code also yes. and you're not showing it outside to the non mahram men so this is this was my you can say uh, a short journey to the niqab but i um, that's what i kind of main try to maintain that uh mashallah sister uh, so could i could yeah. i just ask you a little bit just because obviously you mentioned that you wasn't practicing before and if you don't mind i'd like to dig a little bit deeper there because maybe there's some sisters who are listening for example who aren't practicing or they're just trying to get into you know practicing the religion you know because sometimes like it's one thing when we have stories of like convert muslims or revert muslims but when there's mm -hmm. uh, you know somebody from it coming from a muslim background there are so many muslims in the community who come from muslim backgrounds but they haven't been raised practicing or they just haven't been practicing islam for you know whatever reason so can you just kind of like give us a little bit more like what was it for you that kind of set you on that path you said that you had needed something but why specifically sort of to look at how can how did you start off with that sort of specifically actually that surah was uh recommended to me by my aunt my dad's sister i right. was facing uh, some personal problems in my life mm -hmm. at that time uh where i had to look out for direction and uh, even my parents since they being cultural and traditional uh they didn't have much advice to uh tell me about as to what i need to do i i had to make a few decisions in life that time that you know i um it was in my personal thing that you know i had to find a direction I, I, at that point it was only that allah whom i could rely on and to ask for help that what is the decision that i need to make where do i need to turn to and um, there was a um a source who had a, i mean a, a guardian a teacher who had advised me actually when he started advising me saying that you know uh this is what you need to do in your life first you need to know about your hijab first you need to know about your salah and then you need to look out for solutions for your problems in your personal life so that's that was um bringing me it was in a state where i had to uh take the decision on my own my mm -hmm. parents also couldn't uh, be then involved because uh, it was a personal decision mm -hmm. and um, even asking them would be resulting in a cultural answer which would not help me religiously mm -hmm. and at that point i felt i needed allah more and i needed that uh, only if i could make allah happy that for me the solution would come up that's when actually when i was even consulting my dad's people at that time i remember Uh, that my aunt had told me that you you start reading actually it's not uh, like a set uh, you can say that if you read surah kahf you get a solution but what just just she told me was just read surah kahf just start reading uh whenever you want yes. like whenever you feel like you need help you just start reading surah kahf mm -hmm. so what i used to do is i always used to take the quran the surah kahf and read that only mm -hmm. and only that whenever i used to take up and read that that line always used to um highlight yeah. for me yeah. of me yeah so that line kind of made me more curious as to what is allah trying to tell me through that so that's when i started to research at the time sister sorry i was uh, um 23 23 24 okay okay alhamdulillah yeah alhamdulillah so then and how old did you when you started to wear the niqab Niqab was like 2016, meaning five years before. Okay. So yeah, it was around. Uh, I was 20, 30, I think 30 mm -hmm. when I started practicing the mm -hmm. niqab. Inshallah. 
Yes, so just before my just before my marriage, you can see. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Alhamdulillah. So, did you have any issues with anybody in your family? Like, you did mention that obviously your parents didn't want you to kind of work full time because they wanted you to get married and stuff like that. But what about other family members? Was there anybody that kind of? No, uh, no, no. They used to tell them on the phone, but they, for me directly, no one told me. Okay. Uh, as in, I'm upfront on me, no one told me. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And how would you say your experience has been since you started wearing the in the community that you live in? Has there been any kind of abuse or anything like that? No, Alhamdulillah. Here in the community, especially in UAE, it's more encouraging and it's uh, we are like, uh, we feel involved. There is nothing that uh, we feel like uh, we are an outsider at all. Mm -hmm. So actually, I, I felt more better when I, wearing, when I wear the niqab. I feel more free. Alhamdulillah. So have you been living in the UAE like all the time or is it some, somewhere you've just moved to within some years? No, I've been in UAE since my birth. Okay. I was born in India, but right. within six months, I was in UAE here since 1985. Okay, alhamdulillah. So um, have you have you done any traveling wearing the niqab or anything like that and had an experience? Yeah, yeah. So India, we have done with the traveling. We have traveled to India mostly only. So it's to India that we travel with an Ikhabia. No issues with that. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And um, it's, uh, obviously, uh, like I'm going to ask you, would you describe the Ikhab as being a barrier? And if so, in which kind of sense? Barrier for modesty, you can say, where you are more free. Mm -hmm. It's no other barrier in any other sense. Mm -hmm. Because it actually liberates you more, I believe, because you are more free to the makeup on and dress up anyhow mm -hmm. on your face on the makeup and then and it's I believe personally it makes you more modest you don't have to literally show out everything every expression on your face your beauty to someone else when you're outside mm -hmm. because your husband is there and uh, that's the only thing and like how I was advised that Professor Asalam's wives were completely covered and more modest so it does bring you to that closer level you feel that you are uh, doing what they are doing so obviously when you're doing something a higher authority or a higher more respected person is doing you also do feel that okay you're on their path so that that right path the sense of being on the right path gives a more uh, comfort feeling of comfort and uh, assurity that you are doing something right Mashallah. So, um, so I usually used to feel conscious when I was not wearing niqab and showing my expressions out because yes. I used to see that whenever I used to talk someone outside or smile, people used to turn and I used to feel awkward. It's like, okay, now mm. they're seeing me. So you don't need to show your always your your identity can your identity can be your name. Mm -hmm. Your identity can be your work. That's your identity. It doesn't need Definitely. to be your face or your beauty. Or your expression so that's what i believe your identity through your work and your skills is more important than uh, more than anything any apparent thing seeing for a woman i believe Alhamdulillah. so um i wanted to ask you about your work and how did you get involved with um you said you're a breastfeeding counselor um yeah is that your main job um and what kind of like can you describe like what your main work is that you that you do on the like normally obviously you said you're resting now because of you know expecting a baby but how do, how do you get into your work how do you get involved in that 
I just completed my breastfeeding counseling uh, course, uh, the training last year. So it's just been uh, around eight months to 10 months when I completed my certified breastfeeding counseling course from uh, government here, from Charger government here itself. And also I just did my, uh, finished my training also at the same, almost at the same time in childbirth education. So that was online, completely online because since it was COVID time, uh, instead of the physical classes, we had online classes. It was, it was easier for me to actually handle my daughter as well as attend the online classes at that time. So we finished the breastfeeding course and now I'm certified breastfeeding counselor. The main thing is that I help women in uh, understanding their breastfeeding issues, especially new mothers who don't know whether their milk supply is fine or not, who have issues with the latching problems for babies and whose babies are not sleeping, whatever concerns they have with the baby, colic reflux, to help them identify the problem basically. Mm. and uh, suggest them to specialists or lactation consultants in their local areas because we have a connection with the lactation consultants and other breastfeeding counselors uh, even in UAE as well as uh, even in India I know a few so I connect them to them if they have any issues and if they need to more consult someone because they have some myths and misconceptions regarding breastfeeding also there are a lot of myths and misconceptions pertaining to this especially if it's a new mother she would just go by whatever the doctor says or whatever she would get confused with the doctor's advice or with the family's advice it would get mixed up it would get messy and the baby ends up still crying every time at night and she would be uh, in a worry in a state of stress mm. so that eventually what happens is for her she's facing a lot of issues from the external environmental side if her baby is facing an issue but she's not able to solve the problem she ends up in stress and that eventually affects her milk supply and she's not able to solve the problem and ends up into formula feeding. So it's like a kind of cycle. It's a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle, you can say. So we try to educate her about the importance of breastfeeding and what she needs to, what science she needs to understand as to when she needs, needs to approach the doctor or when she needs to approach a counselor to find out if it's a very, sometimes it's a very small issue, but they think it's a very big issue. And then it goes into formula feeding again, where they go to the doctor and give the medicine or the doctor says your milk supply is low. Mm. The biggest uh, problem in all the new mothers, what they face is that they are told that their milk supply is low if their yes. baby is crying. So yes. we try to educate them on why the baby cries. There are so many other issues with the baby. The latch issues are there, tongue tie issues. So there are so many other scientific issues which they are not aware about. Mm. And uh, we tell them as to what stage they would need to be considering for a formula if all of the measures they have tried is not working. That's when that would come in between. But it would be always the first initial thing that they do with the formula feeding, that they would end up with the formula feeding. Yeah. Just a small thing. And then they would put the baby on the bottle. So it's basically educating them on this aspect and also referring them to specialists if their okay. issue is a bit more we mm. refer them to lactation consultant so that is the role of the breastfeeding counselor we try to counsel them or help them emotionally also with their situation we try to attend them so that is the kind of services we offer and uh, it's also online and locally and also as a childbirth educator i'm still doing the training so where uh, still i haven't uh, certified in that mm -hmm. but once certified it would be that I would be having a face-to-face -face or online sessions with mothers who want to prepare for pregnancy and a healthy pregnancy and birth and also um, possibility of attending their birth yes. and helping them in the labor progress. So is that like being a doula? Yes that is also you can certify as a childbirth educator as well as a doula. 
Okay, okay, all right then. So, so there's a, there is a difference between the two then. Yeah, childbirth education is only where you are attending the mother and you're helping her out with all the pregnancy preparation, but doula would be being with her and attending her during the full labor process. Okay, okay, doula. So, what would you recommend? Um, for example, there's a young mother for uh, she's a she's a first time mother. She's breastfeeding. And her baby's like around the age of six months now where, you know, usually this is the age where um, foods are starting to be introduced. Like what kind of um, advice would you give her a young mother like that? And she's having issues with, for example, the child is still not sleeping throughout the night and wakes up a lot and seems to constantly still want milk. Hmm. This is a very common issue, actually. And now at the age of six months, first thing I would say, I would, I would tell her is to identify if her baby is ready for solids. Mm -hmm. Because there is a time that you need to identify if your baby is ready for solids. That is, if your baby is able to sit well, yes. even with support, they are able to sit for some time. Yes. And then uh, they're showing interest in the food and they have a few set of teeth. Mm -hmm. If they don't have teeth at six months, but they're sitting it's not yet very close time to give them solids. You mm -hmm. need to wait at least for a month, at least mm -hmm. and see if they're getting teeth. Because mm -hmm. some babies don't get teeth at six or seven months. Yes. So it's better off delaying starting solids because the solids even, it's not like there is no standard that you need to start solids at six months. Mm -hmm. uh, it's only because that you are just preparing them to get a start of different tastes. Yes. That's all. Mm -hmm. so instead uh if they need to have a taste of different solids you can just offer them that you get this uh, with a net or a gauge that they get these little uh, juice juice uh they can taste the juice of different fruits or something they can just taste that but to actually begin solids with them is you need to be sure that they're ready yes. uh, they're sitting upright and they're having all the interest and they're showing all the signs that a baby shows with a set of teeth and the interest and the kind of activities that they are doing, uh, that they are always more upright than lying down, mm -hmm. which will give them an, uh, uh, that's a signal that they can start solids. And solids also, it's not, it's only a complementary yes. thing at that time, just maybe mm -hmm. hardly one or two times a day, because the main source of nutrition till at least one year is breast milk. That's what mm -hmm. we would give the advice to that mother first. Now, okay. if now that baby is having issues with the, a lot of crying at night, now at six months, there's something called growth spurt. The growth spurt for the baby is there at three months, at six months, at one year. And it goes on like that. Every three okay. months or every uh, four months, the baby has a growth spurt. So mm -hmm. the uh, the possibility that the baby keeps crying at night is probably one is growth spurt. One is uh, because for the growth spurt, the baby will want to feed continuously at night. Right. Okay. Then there is something called cluster feeding. Cluster feeding is also because also possibility of the growth spurt that they want to keep feeding continuously or if they are having a blocked nose or if they are having some irritation in the tummy. So that time they would cluster feed. That is just for a comfort they would want to feed. They feel better. So if uh, they don't get the feed at night, they would cry. So you need to identify whether it's the growth spurt. If they're not having any colic issues or reflux right. or blocked nose, then it's the growth spurt, obviously. And they don't mm -hmm. have any other issues. Mm -hmm. And if it's only at night, and it's usually the cluster feeding that happens. Right. Uh, only if it's the nighttime that they are crying and they're not having any other issue, it's the cluster feeding. That pattern comes and goes actually for the babies. We cannot uh, solve that unless they are themselves ready to leave it. So it's a phase, you can say, that you need to go through and there is no medicine for it. The cluster <laughs> feeding. Yeah. So uh, what about the mother then? Because like, you, what can happen is that obviously it can affect her 
like have, for example, the breasts can become very sore from continuous feeding. So what could what advice would you give to the mother from from her side, and what can she do to help um, improve the quality of her milk as well? Okay, the sore breasts actually won't happen if the baby is latching well in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be even if it is sore, it won't be so painful. But if she is getting a lot of pain during uh, the feeding times where the baby is feeding a lot and if mm -hmm. the pain is too much, then that means there is a slight latch problem which needs to be corrected mm -hmm. where the baby is not latching onto the breast well. Soreness <clears throat> is pretty common, but uh, that soreness would go away mm -hmm. fast. She wouldn't feel continuous pain. Like it would be just there for when the baby is feeding and after some time she wouldn't feel that much. Yes. But if the pain is there or if it's a stinging pain, if it's a pinching kind of pain and if it's not bearable when the baby is feeding and then the pain is not there when the baby is not feeding, then there is a latch problem. So it needs to be corrected to see actually uh, the breastfeeding counselor or the lactation consultant needs to see how the baby is feeding. Mm -hmm. So and then give them a guideline as to what is the position and the correct uh, or change the position of the feeding uh, or uh, see how because that needs to be seen face to face and then correct the position of the baby yeah. while feeding on the breast so that's that's the way the soreness can be reduced and what was your other question about the milk like how can she improve her milk yeah. flow yeah now if because of the soreness or because of the pain the mother is not feeding the baby on demand then there's a probability that the milk supply can be reduced mm -hmm. so to in order to reduce that what she can do is till she's uh, trying to sort that issue out also she is um, massaging her breasts before the feed of the baby yes and uh, she is uh, relaxed she's eating well at on time as her hunger is there she needs to be relaxed she needs not to be stressed and then she is um, mm, for the soreness also sometimes applying breast milk helps Really? If it is just a very mild. Yeah. For any pain, for even for any cut also, okay. if you apply the breast milk, the breast milk is has antibodies, antibiotics. It has oh, so no, no. many, so many uh, beneficial uh, organisms inside the breast milk mm -hmm. that it will heal even the gut system of the baby. And even if the baby is having a blocked nose, uh, put the breast milk in the baby's nose and then start the feed. The breast milk will clear of the nose also. Yeah. For anything. Wow. <laughs> Even till six months or one year, whatever the issue is there, the best medicine is the breast milk, especially for the blocked nose. I used it for my daughter, for my uh, my own lactation consultant. She yes. had advised me. Any problem with your daughter, put the breast milk in the nose for the blocked nose, it'll clear off. And even if she's having like fever or sore throat, whatever, mm -hmm. just keep feeding breast milk. Nothing yes. else. Alhamdulillah, mashallah, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and even if it's like, uh, uh, there are, I have, I have seen uh, remedies where if the mother has a pimple, I just put the breast milk drop on, then the pimple goes away. Subhanallah. Wow. So these are the properties the breast milk has and very beneficial. So the main thing is like not to reduce the milk supply for the mom. Is she needs not to be getting stressed often, and she needs to have, she needs to understand, like when she starts understanding that the baby is not always crying because of colic or the baby is not getting milk because that is the first thing that mothers and the doctors they say that you know if your baby is crying then they're not having enough milk but the yeah. main uh, sign for the milk the baby is getting enough milk is they're gaining weight well or they're having enough wet diapers in a day okay. uh, five to six wet diapers in a day mm -hmm. that's enough if they're getting enough wet diapers in a day they're having enough milk alhamdulillah
the crying would be another reason cluster feeding or uh, blocked nose or maybe mostly a growth spurt it's mostly a growth spurt till the age of 6 to 8 months that they keep having growth spurts sometimes every 2 to 3 weeks so they will feed more continuously and the best thing is to feed the baby on demand not at specify specific time yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah as a doctor advises is just that whenever they are feeding well is fine and i'm making sure that the baby is not sleeping in a day mm-hmm. at a more stretch of 5 hours like if they are sleeping for more than 5 hours in a day then they need to be woken up and then given the feed okay. otherwise it's fine they can sleep up to 5 hours at a stretch without feeding it's okay once in a day Okay, mashallah. That's really interesting. Because I think um I think now there's like people even use like things like apps on their phones to like, you know, record the times that they've been feeding their child, for example, and, and they're trying to like um feed according to what the app is telling them. So obviously like mm-hmm. that could interfere with what the yes, needs of the is. child, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the main thing is like if you have a baby, just do what the baby says. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. That's the best thing for the healthy baby growth and for them to bond with you once they grow up, and that cry it out. And they have these concepts called crying it out and let the baby cry it out. They'll get used to it. Not there's nothing of that sort because it makes the baby's hormones go upside down and make them more aggressive once they grow up. So it's like crying is only because for a reason for a baby. Either the baby needs a mom or they're sleepy or they're hungry. So do one of those things. It's only that. So the cry it out method also these are all big misconceptions which does of, often cause the personality problems later on with the babies they become more uh, insecure when they leave the baby to cry it out subhanallah the baby crying it out is not healthy because it uh, sends out uh, these you know for them the adrenaline and the cortisol signals that it creates a wrong set of hormones in the baby where they become they start crying it crying too much right so mm-hmm. it's they they say that let the baby cry and they will get used to it but it's only because of the reason that the baby wants the mother for some reason either for feeding or for sleeping right. so whenever the baby is crying in the initial stage itself pick up the baby and hold the baby okay. and even only in the initial stage itself if they are picked up and held they would feed well also otherwise they won't feed well okay okay subhanallah they so would if- go go into a very aggressive stage where they wouldn't feed so it's just, so basically if you leave the if the child is crying and it wants the mother mm-hmm. it doesn't have the mother for a long period that affects the the feeding the, the child being able to feed correctly later is that what yes. you're saying yes yeah. because they would go into a fit of rage and when if you have seen the baby crying for a very long time yeah. they would just cry 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 mm. cry they wouldn't feed well and by the time they would feed they would be tired also and they would yeah. go to sleep it would be like that never let the baby cry at out because it's it's a natural uh, call of the baby to for the mother to be on their side okay alhamdulillah mashallah that's really a lot of beneficial information there so inshallah if there's any young mothers or new mothers listening then they can benefit inshallah sure that's sure inshallah thing. and i do provide a serv- i do provide services online also okay so anywhere around the world no issues Alhamdulillah. So, inshallah, we can include your um, contact details in the description box for sure, other sisters, inshallah. Mashallah. So, um, yeah, back to back to the topic of um, the niqab and, and hijab yeah. as well, actually. I wanted to ask you, sister, um, do you feel that um, there's a difference in, in the treatment of sisters who wear the niqab um, and sisters who wear the hijab? 
Where in uh, here in my place? Yeah, well, just in your experience. Uh, no, no, dif- no different treatment. We are treated all the same here, especially in the U.S. since it's a Muslim country. Mm-hmm. We don't have any any uh, issues with the niqabs uh, separately as a hijab. Alhamdulillah. So we are all treated the same. That's no issues. Alhamdulillah. And um, have you met any sisters who would like to wear the niqab, for example, but they aren't allowed to wear it? Or have you met sisters on the river, side, for example, who have been forced into wearing the niqab? Right now, no. I don't have any sisters whom I know that they want to, they're not able to, but I already know all mothers who are already practicing and uh, they, they are, uh, some are hijabi and some are uh, niqabi. Mm-hmm. Matlab, they have already started. There's mm-hmm. no issues that they're facing right now. And when I was uh, not married, when I was doing my volunteering, I met a lot of sisters, a lot of young girls at that time. Mm-hmm. college girls and uh, girls who are about to get married that they want to start the niqab and they have issues or they're not having uh, uh, a supportive uh, environment that they can start so that time I used to meet a lot now uh, after so many years no alhamdulillah I'm not meeting any of them right now like that alhamdulillah and then what what kind of advice would you give to those sisters who want to wear the niqab but they don't feel confident to wear it um, for them, let them take it slow and see because even, uh, especially since the niqab issue, uh, it's, there is an issue with the, like an understanding that if it's obligatory or not. So uh, as much as possible, they try to talk it out with their family and their parents that they are interested in this and then how uh, they would benefit from it and what reward it carries, what reward Allah gives when they wear the niqab. Mm-hmm. So they try to communicate as much as possible that they wish to do it, but not try to enforce it immediately if it is not accepted accepted by their family or if they're being opposed, like not to act as if they are trying to, what do you call, be aggressive about it. Yeah. They, can, they need to take it slow and try to, like what I used to do is that sometimes I put on my makeup. And I tell my parents that, look, I have a makeup on right now. So allow me to wear the niqab now. So then they're like, okay. (laughs) So it's like that. When they want to go into a gathering or something, they can try or when they're going out alone, then they can seek permission at that time. So slowly, slowly a gradual progress. So and pray, keep making dua to Allah that they get a supportive partner who will allow them to wear the niqab and support them in that. So that's the only thing. I don't think much of it is needed because... uh, this will happen eventually if they are consistent in their intention. Yes, definitely. Alhamdulillah. So, um, sister, you know, you mentioned you have a, the, the, you write, you've got a Muslim network. What's that about? Yeah. It's basically an article base. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all articles and resources on the website uh, for women and for young girls. Uh, it's all the resources we provide. Even there, the resources are there for uh, pregnancy and for breastfeeding. Okay. So it's it's just like a quite a general website then. So do you, do you, yeah, is it not, not specifically things to do with like Islam particularly, but just in it general? Is, it is. All the, all the articles are Islamic based. Okay. And Islamic principle based. So it's just that they can go and browse and they have the, we have the resources on breastfeeding uh, as well. Then we have resources on homeschooling. So uh, trying to develop resources, more resources on that, and also trying to develop some courses as well. So still in the, you can say, uh, working stages and uh, reforming stages, it's still going on at the back. 
Nikhab is my identity. It's uh, it's just my pride, you can say, because mm -hmm. I, for me, nikhab is something which, as a Muslim woman, uh, it increases my iman and uh, helps me develop more uh, as a Muslim woman, being closer to Allah, uh, who uh, wants to work on the path of the Sahabiyat and uh, the teachings of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu yeah. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah, sister. Thank you so much. Yeah, for the interview. And uh, it's very interesting. Alhamdulillah. It's been really great talking to you. And it's nice to talk to somebody with your kind of experience as well. I think it's my first time actually talking to a sister who's um, okay. a birthing expert. So, yeah, mashallah. Yeah. Okay, inshallah. Very beneficial. Jazakallah, sister. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi. Thank you so much for uh, being here. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi.